And we are back. This is the Never Ending Glory podcast. I am your host, Luke Grilly, back from my Icelandic saga, as they say it over uh, on the island. Do you hear that? <laughs> what is that? That's Sigur Ross. <laughs> did you hear that? Did you guys see them live? We did not. We did not. No? We, we ran out of time in between our hiking and our sightseeing. Uh, did you like go into any, uh, you know, like a fjord or a crevasse? We went into a fjord, um, a nice heated fjord, about 80 degrees, but we did not see Sigur Ross or Bjork. Oh, I thought that was just kind of like a thing you saw as soon as you got off the plane. Yeah, kind of like just their ambassador. Yeah. All right. Well, I learned something <laughs> today about Iceland. Well, welcome back. It's glad I'm glad to hear from you. Thank you, Jared. Thank you. Uh, had a great time, and thank you to you and Sean for picking up the slack last week during the NFL draft recap. You guys did a great job. Um, before we get into how Iceland was and my sacrifice of Roger Goodell to the <laughs> Icelandic Nordic gods, I don't even want do, to know where you put him. Just leave. Don't him worry on. about it. The, the less you know, the better. Exactly. Um, I do want to mention a few things. Before we get going here, find us on all of our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook at Glory Podcast, Never Ending Glory Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast, at B-U-R-R-I-S 40. Find myself at L-G-R-I-L-L-I 88. And then, of course, all you trolls out there, send us emails at negpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome the trolling. We welcome the haters. As any 16-year-old or rapper says, haters make me famous, and of course, I want to be famous someday. So please, send us emails. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, more what wrong you want us to right. talk about. Yeah, well, obviously more wrong than right. We're still not millionaires yet. That'll be a recurring theme, I'm sure. We're working on it. But, uh, Jer, 60 degrees and sunny here in New England today. How's it looking in Cleveland? Uh, pretty much the same. Um, you know, we've had some warmer weather. We've had some not so warm weather. It just kind of depends. No May snowstorm yet. So that's kind of good. We're usually that's good nice. for a, a late pop-up, but it hasn't happened this year. Yeah. Over in Iceland, it, it varied from 50 degrees and sunny one second to 40 and snowing, 40 and snowing to about 45 and sleeting. So it was definitely a, a bipolar weather, just like New England and Cleveland. So it, it felt like home. To. Felt like home, but it was. Uh, I got to say, Iceland's a really cool country. If you ever get a chance, all you listeners out there, definitely check it out. Great hiking, great sightseeing, great food, great people, very welcoming people. Great beer. The only problem is beers are ten bucks a pop. So, so bring some cash. But, it's like Vegas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Except the beer's not as good, and the girls aren't as hot. So, close <laughs> enough. <laughs> but uh, like I said, I, I, I will not tell you exactly where I left. Roger Goodell's rotting carcass, but the elven gods, elves are huge over in Iceland, which, which blows my mind. Like everybody there believes in elves and trolls, which I thought was absolutely hilarious because grown adults are just raving about the little willows of the world. Well, it's a different place. It's not, uh, it's not as civilized as we are, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland's so civilized. Oh, oh, come on. So we do have a lot to talk about today. NBA playoffs are huge. We currently have teams playing tonight in the second round. And, of course, we have your Cleveland Cavaliers, Jer, who have moved on to the Eastern Conference Finals 
after sweeping the Atlanta Hawks and going eight eight zero in the playoffs so far. So you have to be pretty excited about that. Excited, it's excited is an understatement, but it's also been um, like I said, you know, in our in our podcast a few uh, weeks ago. Who are we waiting on to play against? This is really right. just you know coming to the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, and let's go on and, and play the Warriors. And I'll tell you what. If anything has been set, it is the precedent of three-point shooting from this team. Definitely. Um, we had 25 three-pointers in game two, set the record for most in an NBA game ever. Um, How did they win? How did they beat Atlanta in four games? And what can we expect in the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, they won because they have a uh, 120 OEFF. For those of you who aren't stat heads, that's <laughs> offensive um, efficiency rating. Um, highest in the NBA right now in the playoffs. Uh, they're shooting 46.2% from three-point land. And I can't say enough about this offense and what it's doing and how it's spread and how LeBron was right all along. Give me just assassins on the outside and watch what I'll do with them. J.R. Smith is the, by far the fan favorite of this team, um, not only for his neck tattoos, but his ability to put the ball up anywhere in the beyond the three-point line with whoever in front of him, and he's going to put it down. Um, and there's also a 50% chance that he's going to go insane on the court and maybe stab somebody. Well, so that, that makes a, it fun to watch. There was a little bit of that um, in game three. Like the, or, I'm sorry, on game four on Sunday, there was, a, there was an instance with, you know, the refs weren't making all the calls in Cleveland's way like we're used to, and he got a little chippy, and he uh, said some stuff, and I think he got a T, but he really did a good job of just walking away. I was very proud of the man, but but Jr. is by far my my favorite player to watch. I mean, Kevin Love's still very suspect on defense, but he he's he's probably the second favorite. But um, this has been an absolute pleasure to watch this team in the playoffs. Yeah, Cavs. When we were over in Iceland, it was funny. We watched Game Two. It was like midnight when we were watching. It was just the the. the almost epic collapse followed by the team kind of getting chippy and scrappy and coming back to, to eventually get the victory in game two. It was really fun to watch. I have to say, I've, you know me, I'm a LeBron hater, but no, I what thought you were a big LeBron lover. Nope. Sean and I talked about that in the last podcast. <laughs> You'd be sorely mistaken. Um, I still hate LeBron. I still think he's a diva. I still think he's slightly overrated. However, he is playing exactly like he should be playing for this team. And he should be playing the way he should be playing to cement his legacy. I think that he's not Michael Jordan. He's obviously not a Bill Russell because he's not a seven-footer. But he's, he's supposed to be Magic Johnson. Yeah. That's what he's supposed to be. He can play almost any position on the floor. He can dish the ball. He can rebound. He can score at will. He's fast. He's physical. I just think that he's smooth. I think that Magic Johnson is who he should model his game after, and that's what he's been playing like in this series. Absolutely. He's not going to lead the team in scoring, but he's going to fill the stat line and, and come close to a triple-double each game. So I think you got to be pretty pumped with the way LeBron's playing. Yeah, we are in Cleveland for sure. Absolutely. So uh, Cavs, you know, swept the Hawks. Series was never really in doubt, and and now it comes up to – it comes down to – the Raptors versus the Heat. So that's who the Cavs will be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, either the Raptors or the Heat. And right now the Raptors are up 2-1 with a 95-91 win on Saturday. And tonight, Monday night, as we're recording, they're playing to, to figure out either is the series going to get tied up 2-2 or will the Raptors take a 3-1 lead here. 
it's been a pretty close series so far. There's been the first two guys, two games went to overtime. And of course the Raptors won by four on Saturday. However, two major injuries to both teams to kind of put them on the level playing field. Hassan Whiteside out with an MCL sprain. It's huge. Yeah. Huge. By far. He, he's been a double, double machine, uh, rim defender, averaging almost four blocks a game. The guy's a beast. And that's, that's going to be tough for them. Uh, but also, Jonas Valakununununas is also out for the Raptors for the, the rest of the series with a sprained right ankle. So, tit for tat, both teams lose an uh, interior guy who's been pretty important so far in the playoffs. So, evens out the playing field. There's no real advantage here. However, it just goes to show you that it's just going to be an easy walk for the Cavs into the into the NBA Finals, and they'll probably face they'll face one of the top three teams in the West. So, I'm curious what you think here, Jared. Do you think that this is Miami's series to win? Do you think they can come back from two one? Do you think the Raptors have the lead here and the stranglehold on the on the Heat here? What do you think is is next? What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen in Game Six? Well, I think losing Whiteside is uh, probably the death nail on the door for for Miami. They uh, they're going to struggle defending inside. Um, he's like you said, a, a block machine. He's he's a great rim defender, and uh, he's going to pull down offensive and defensive rebounds for them and you don't replace a guy like that when he's been such an integral part of their uh their squad this year i I see toronto taking this um maybe they get maybe they lose a game to miami uh so maybe they win it in game six but i see it's going to be a toronto cleveland um final uh i don't see them stopping them i think uh we could see another four game sweep and we could possibly see one of the most well-rested teams going into the finals uh in a long time well, let's just put it this way. I think that you and I and the rest of the world should be cheering for the Raptors here because the last thing we want to see is the ball washing of <laughs> the Heat versus the Cavs and Dwayne Wade versus LeBron. And, and I was thinking about this today also. It would infuriate me and prove everything I've been saying for the past three, four years about LeBron James if the Heat play – the Cavs, and there's just grab ass between LeBron and D Wade. That, and I can see that happening. I really could see that happening. So uh, I don't know in the playoffs. I think there's a little bit of respect for the game. I, I totally see what you mean. I think um, they're they're still going to be you know very showy buddies before the game and after the game. Ultimate sign of respect between the two of them. And it's not that cutthroat '80s '90s style that we love and we miss. But as far as like you know, moving on to the next round of the playoffs, I think that that permeates more than being buddies. Um, but I, I totally get what you mean by it. It's it's totally disgusting the way we could just envision ESPN running with this story if they were to move on to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs. So I, I totally do not want the Heat to move on. I hear. And to be honest, ever since Deflategate, I don't think I've watched Sports Center just because it's nauseating the stories they force down your throat. And Completely. I'm all set with that. Completely. Yeah. So, so Eastern Conference, you know, as you've been saying, Jared, the Cavs have been shooting the three ball really well. One one benefit to being rested and having a few few weeks or a week to watch to see what opponents you're going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals is obviously to heal any nagging injuries, which, knock on wood, the Cavs have been 
relatively injury free, which is pretty much the polar opposite of their playoff run last year. Yeah. But what also hurts is you live and die by the three ball. So if you're hot shooting the three ball, if Channing Fry's hitting threes, if Kevin Love's hitting threes, J.R. Smith's hitting threes, but then all of a sudden you have a week off from competitive gameplay, you could lose that three ball. So yeah. I think you have to worry about that a little bit. However, the Cavs are so are such a well-oiled machine when it comes to just their inside and outside game on the offensive side of the ball that they should be all right, but that has to be taken into consideration, right? It, it does, but I think the, the, the same point was brought up last year with the Warriors going into the finals. They had a lot of time off compared to the Cavs in the Eastern finals, and people thought, can they keep this outrageous streak going? I mean, right. they do have the best shooter on the planet in Steph Curry, but as a team, I think it comes back pretty quick. These are professionals that uh, – do nothing else but but shoot threes and, and certain guys like J.R. Smith. I don't think the venue matters. I think uh, it's it's going to take a little bit of you know getting back into the speed of it once the finals actually come around. But I'm not too worried about it. Well, let me just let's clarify one thing. J.R. Smith does not just not just shoot threes. He also goes to the club yes. and DM DM chicks on the reg. So he does. But I think that's part of what makes him function. So. You take him out of that mindset, and maybe he struggles. So just you do you, Jr. That's keep right. on shooting threes. Keep on DMing girls, and and we'll reap the benefits of it by by watching. Hopefully, the Cavs beating down the Raptors or the Heat. I gotta I gotta admit, no, I'm not a LeBron fan, but I do have a soft spot for Cleveland as a whole. I know it takes LeBron for the Cavs to win, so. Yes, I guess technically I am cheering for LeBron. We'll take it. But it's really I'm cheering for the Cavs and the city of Cleveland. Okay, We'll take I, it. I, just, Anything I want we that can to be get. known. All right. <laughs> so good segue. You're talking about a great three-point shooting team. And, of course, when you think three-point shot, you think the Golden State Warriors, the number one seed in the West, who are currently up 2-1 on Portland and are playing them later on tonight. So that could all change, obviously. First two games went swimmingly for Golden State without Steph Curry, who's nursing that knee injury after that awkward fall. But game three was a different story. Even though Clay Thompson and Draymond Green blew up and both scored over 30 points, they were no match for Damian Lillard, uh, who put up 40 points, and CJ McCollum, as well as Al Farouk Aminu, who I don't know about you, Jer, but Al Farouk Aminu really reminds me of Farouk. Every time I hear that name, I think of Farouk, the wrestler from WWE back in the mid-90s. Nation of the Domination. Uh, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But uh, with that offensive explosion from the Blazers, they're able to finally secure a victory against the Warriors. So now, all of a sudden, Golden State's kind of in, I don't want to say desperation mode, but early this morning, this afternoon, I got a note on my phone saying that the Warriors were now making Steph Curry questionable tonight instead of being out. So, do you think this is a sign of, of desperation from the Warriors? And I also do want to mention that Steph Curry recently was – the sources say that Steph Curry will be named MVP for the second straight year of the NBA. So Desperation, um, uh, I, I don't think so. I, he, may, he may dress uh, – I don't have the game um, pregame stuff on right now, but he may dress. I would be very, very surprised to see him actually play. Uh, I don't think there's enough firepower in Portland to beat them. Um, it, I would be shocked if this thing gets to 2-2. Two to two. And I, I'm pulling for them. C.J. McCollum's a Northeast Ohio guy. 
Um, and we want we want to see Golden State go to the seventh game here. But uh, to be honest, I don't think he's going to be playing today. I'd be very, very shocked if that were to happen. Yeah, I would too. He's too important to the team. Again, MVP of the league, arguably the best player on planet Earth when it comes to the sport of basketball. So you do want to save him. But if this goes to two to two, they might have to rush him back sooner than expected, which is not ideal for that knee and for this year and maybe even the future. So um, it's, it's amazing, though, with that team that a big guy like Draymond Green he went like eight for 12 from behind the three point line, which is madness. I mean, I wasn't surprised that he had a career high in assists this year, because obviously if you have a guy like Clay Thompson or Steph Curry to just kick it out to your assist totals are going to go through the roof. But the fact that he can shoot the three at such a good clip is it's unreal. And it's just, I, I noticed this watching the NBA recently that, there's a lot of big guys who can shoot the ball. And this was never the case when we were growing up in the mid-90s. I mean, Draymond Green can shoot. Channing Fry can shoot. Um, Kelly Olynyk from the Celtics can shoot. There's just a lot of guys who are 7 foot, 6'10", who, who've really refined their game to be strong on the inside and the outside. And I think that those guys are really almost i don't want to say changing the nba oh they are they're, they're totally changing the game right you, you no longer that. you have the guy like dwight howard who's just he's gonna run up and down the court but he's not gonna give you anything other than something five feet away from the basket it's a uh, waste timothy of Mo- a spot timothy, timothy moskov i mean what's he really done it's it just these one-dimensional guys are really starting you're starting to see these hybrid guys and it's actually pretty exciting yeah i agree it's spacing the floor it's spreading it out and it, it makes for a much more <laughs> enjoyable product for sure yeah yeah so it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight with that golden state portland game again if it goes to 2-2 steve kerr might decide to try to push steph curry but like you said i don't really expect him to play tonight and i really think that the warriors can take this series with or without steph curry i think so too so so but the other really interesting matchup in the west is the spurs the two seed versus the thunder the three seed Mm -hmm. and Spurs Spurs looked like heading into the series that they were probably they're the well-oiled machine. They were going to take it to this Thunder team, which it seemed like the Thunder were kind of not clicking with each other. Uh, Durant and Westbrook button heads a little bit. But after watching them for a few weeks now, I feel like that's just how they function. And that's how they play the game of basketball together by butting heads. Oh, yeah. They're like brothers. They're always going to fight. But Sunday, Thunder looked good. They looked real good. Kevin Durant put up 41 points. He led the Thunder to a 111 to 97 win and tied the series up 2-2. So, after that controversial game 2 finish where the Thunder won the won it and in game 3 the Spurs came back to go up 2-1, we're now tied at 2-2. Where do you see the series going? Well, it's depending on which officiating crew is going to be working this game, but I, I think in the end you're going to see a Spurs. Uh, they're going to take the series. I, it might go seven. This could be one of those you know classic series that will go down um, with some controversy, like we mentioned. But it, I think they could make it all go all the way to seven. I love watching Durant and Westbrook play together. It's like you said. It's like watching two brothers that you know are so close in age that they do nothing but fight uh, because it's so competitive and. I wish they had, you know, one other piece to kind of get them their their own version of the big three. But sometimes Russ Westbrook can play like he's got 
his own uh, three-man team going. Because sometimes he's such a ball hog, too. Same thing with Durant. They don't need anybody else on the floor, and they're just going to yeah. do their thing. Uh, and evidence in, in Sunday's game. But if I had to project, I'm going to say seven games in Spurs advance. Yeah, see, to, to be honest, if you talk to me at the beginning of the series, like I said, I thought the Spurs had it. But I just I, – I don't know. I got a feeling about this, this Thunder team – I think they're too good. I think they're too explosive, which is something that the Spurs aren't really. You know, Kawhi Leonard is an athlete, but overall, this team is not a super explosive team. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili have both kind of lost a step. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge is not an explosive player. He's a great player, but not an explosive player. Tim Duncan, unfortunately, he's in the twilight of his career. Played 12 minutes last night, put up zero points. So. I, I think that this is Durant and Westbrook, and I think they're going to take it to the Western Conference Finals. And one of my favorite players ever, I think now, because of his awesome hipster mustache, is Steven Adams, the center. And I, I love watching this guy, and I just think, I don't know, I think, I think the Thunder have it. And funny, funny thing about Steven Adams, he's actually one of 19 children. Yeah, he's a, he's a Kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Thunder, and, and, you know, we talked about controversial finishes. Obviously, in Game 2, we saw good old friend Dion Waiters actually elbow Manu Ginobili while trying to throw the ball in bounds, which was interesting because it didn't get called. And after rewatching it, I thought the refs really messed up on that. But to tell you the truth, the rest of how the – other than Steven Adams getting held by a Spurs fan, um, <laughs> I liked how the, the refs kind of swallowed the whistle a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of ticky-tack fouls in the NBA and a lot of flopping in the NBA. So when you just see 10 guys finish a game and there might be an elbow thrown here, there might be an elbow thrown there, it's kind of refreshing to, sometimes to see it. However, it's pretty egregious. In game two, when we saw Ginobili get elbowed and we saw Steven Adams get held, um, but obviously Ginobili had an open look and, and missed a three-pointer and they still lost the game. But uh, what are your thoughts, Jer, on on fouls in the NBA? Because oh. it can get bad, but at the same time, like you said, it depends on the officiating. Uh, this is a point of passion with me when it comes to NBA referees. I I love looking up referee statistics and, and wins for home teams and, and you know fouls called per game. And, and Ken Maurer is one of my most disliked uh, officials in the entire NBA. He's really taken over that spot as the, the face of um, guys that need a new job. <laughs> his his crew I, I was at uh, game two of the uh, first round of the playoffs and he was refing the uh, Cavs series and the game just is so disruptive when he's playing and it seems like it's either too many calls or just completely choking down the whistle when there's a blatant moment like we like you described where something needs to be done um, and you know our, our good friend and, and fellow league member Ween would would back me up here when he says there's just some of the worst officiating uh in the nba and it can really make or break a a season um if it comes to the end of a series so it's going to be interesting these next three games down in uh, san antonio and then also in oklahoma city are which crew is going to be there and how is it going to affect the outcome of these um very important games right yeah and you know this is a much more watered down version of it but i'll tell you what 
Refing a game is freaking hard. Sure. I, I refed an intramural basketball game, and I remember that my slow, unathletic friends were moving very fast. And I understand that this is a much different scenario because we're not talking world class athletes. We're also talk, not talking about somebody whose profession is refing basketball. My quote unquote profession at that time was working at the Olive Garden and drinking beers. So um, it's, it's, it's hard, hard to be a ref. And it's a tough job because half the people at the stadium are going to yell at you while the other half have your back. So it can be challenging. It's a very fast game. However, you know, this is their trained profession. These guys should know what they're doing. Right. Uh, but and what's really – it's helped and it's hurt is replay in basketball. I think that it's good. I think that it's definitely needed in some aspects of the game. But if you're talking, you know, should this be a flagrant one or should this just be a hard foul – I hate when the guys go over to the monitor and spend two minutes looking at it and come back and say, Oh no, he just swiped his face. Marcus smart just decided to act like he got shot in the head. So <laughs> that's part of the, the part of the game that I'm really starting to get sick of. And I think it's really slowed down the tempo when in basketball, which is a game of runs when a team has momentum, that's huge. So I think the NBA really needs to take a look at their review system and maybe make it something like the NFL where you can challenge two or three calls a game and kind of go from there instead of it automatically. Oh, because I think there's like 15 different calls that can be reviewed. And at the time the ref can say, I want to review this one. I want to, or not review that one. Right. Yeah. And I think it's more about getting it right. And ultimately I can live with it being right. than I can, then, you know, the flow of the game. So, um, I see both sides. I think that, you know, we differ in our opinions on who's going to come out of this, out of this series, whether it's the, the Spurs or the thunder, it'll be interesting. And, you know, they're probably going to run into a steamroller of a team in golden state. And no matter what, I think the Western conference finals of golden state makes it through is going to be unreal. And I think it's, I think it'll be, probably more competitive than the NBA finals. Not saying the Cavs don't have a chance. I'm just saying that I think that the Spurs and thunder or golden state would match up pretty well and be a really fun game to watch. So yeah, uh, the West is going to make for a great final this year, yeah. but. which to be honest, you know what? I think this lends itself to Cleveland having a better chance at winning because let these teams beat each other up in the West. Let them go to seven games, two series in a row. I mean, that can do nothing but good things for Cleveland. Yes, like I mentioned, that it could maybe hurt Cleveland's vibe and their 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 tempo and their flow because they have a lot of rest. But, you know, these teams playing 14 games against the best competition they're going to face all year just to face a hot Cleveland team that's that's vibing. <sighs> Advantage Cleveland in my eyes. Absolutely. We'll take the rest. Right, right. So – Obviously, we talked NBA here. Now I want to switch over a little bit to rookies from this most recent NFL draft. More specifically, let's talk fantasy football and their value. As I mentioned before in the opening, everybody's used to playing redraft, which is you draft your team every year. Burris is used to coming in the bottom four every single year with the same with a different team every year. That's my consistent he, spot. Right. <laughs> right. However, there's also a different type of football out there, which is dynasty, where think of it as think of it as a keeper league. Each league has different rules, whether you keep every guy 
from the year before, or there's contracts and a salary cap, or you can keep a guy for two years, three years, et cetera, et cetera. But in both formats, your rookie draft or the rookies that are being drafted in your startup draft are huge in value. Whether a guy is going to be vastly overrated or vastly underrated, you never know. Last year, Todd Gurley was a rookie. He missed a few weeks, but second half of the season, he came back and was a game changer. It was the reason why a lot of people won their leagues. So this year, as Sean, our quote-unquote third chair of the NeverEnding Glory podcast, and Jerry talked about some of the top rookies and how they fit within a team scheme, but now I want to kind of reverse the the view and take a look at it from a fantasy perspective and say, how are these players going to help your fantasy team? So Jerry and I took a look at some of the top 15 rookies, where they landed, and we put together what we think is a good idea of what our top 15 looks like. And we'll talk about where they should be, where they should be drafted in your rookie rookie only startup drafts, or where they should be started in your redraft league. I'm sorry, where they should be drafted in your redraft league. And we'll kind of give an idea of what to expect from each player moving forward. So I think the clear cut number one rookie this year has a real chance to be rookie of the year is going to be, is going to be a probably a high end RB two for your fantasy team this year, probably a high end RB one for the next five years is our good friend Ezekiel Elliott from the Ohio state who got drafted fourth overall by the Dallas Cowboys. We all know Dallas Cowboys have probably the best offensive line in football. And now they have arguably one of the most talented running backs in football. So he's my first overall rookie pick this year. If you have the first pick in your rookie draft, you take him. Jerry, what do you think? What do you think we can expect from Ezekiel Elliott in year one? I think we're looking at a guy who's going to be somewhere in the range of a thousand, maybe 1100 yards. Um, what I love is he's not a guy you have to sub out on third down. He's not a guy you have to sub out in the goal line. So he's going to get the goal line touches that a lot of guys don't get in their rookie year. Uh, they bring in that bigger back because they have Alfred Morris and they have DMC behind him. And I don't think either one of those guys is going to cut the mustard when it comes to uh, getting what Jerry Jones wants, and that's W's. And I think the formula this year for the Cowboys is just run the ball, you know, dink and dunk when they, what they need with um, their uh, with Jason Witten, and they want to take the top off of Dez. Uh, and it's not a hard formula to figure out. So I, I think he's a clear-cut number one in, in both a, uh, a dynasty draft and then as far as a redraft, I think he's probably in the top ten for running backs, maybe even close to top five. Is that too high? Um, I don't think top five – I don't think close to top five is too high. I think top five is too high. I think he got Le'Veon okay. Bell in front of him. Sure. Uh, Todd Gurley in front of him, Adrian Peterson – um, who else? Who else am I forgetting here? Um, I don't. Know, maybe it's it's close to top five, but I don't think he is. I think he's probably closer to seven or eight. Um, you know, in AP's rookie year back in two thousand seven, we saw thirteen hundred forty one rushing yards and twelve touchdowns, which no rookie rusher has done. He even come close since. Uh, I don't think we're going to see those numbers. I think we're more in line with what you said, close to eleven hundred yards, maybe double digit touchdowns. Yeah. He's going to be a stud. It's sure. this is the perfect landing spot for him. 
this was all done. This is all happened because Joey Bosa went third to the Chargers. I think. I think the the Cowboys are definitely going with Bosa here if they didn't if he didn't go three. So, but fantasy owners should be rejoicing the instant they they see that Ezekiel Elliott is a Dallas Cowboy. Mm-hmm. So clear cut number one. Moving on to number two, I think uh, Josh Doxson is the number two rookie this year. He wasn't the first wide receiver taken in the draft. That was your boy, Corey Coleman. Mm-hmm. But I think that with the weapons surrounding Doxson right now in year one, Kirk Cousins really stepped up last year. You have Pierre Garcon and Deshaun Jackson and Jordan Reed. You're not going to see a lot of attention paid to Doxson. And he's one of those guys who can run every route. He's probably going to start off in the slot, but I think he'll eventually move to the outside. Um, and he he has wide receiver two number potential, but I think if you draft him as your wide receiver three in the eighth round of redraft leagues, you're you're going to be pretty happy. Reminds me a lot of Kelvin Benjamin two years ago, who I took pretty late and put up great numbers for me. Is is Doxon your number two rookie this year, Jer? I actually have uh, who we're going to mention next, Laquan Treadwell, as my number two. Now, I will say that I agree with what you said about the weapons in Washington, and I think the quarterback situation is better in in Washington than it is in Minnesota. But I think that also could hurt his production numbers. So from a fantasy standpoint, I have Treadwell ahead of Doxon. I just think he's going to get more looks and more touches than um and then who's all has to share the ball in, in washington this this coming season yeah, I, I like that call Treadwell. i was flip-flopping on those two when it came to the rookie draft however in redraft i do actually like treadwell a little bit better than Doxon. i think treadwell's probably a sixth to seventh round pick just a little bit more valuable uh, due to divisional opponents the the NFC East is actually getting pretty good defensively. You saw Eli Apple go tenth overall. The Giants saw Josh Norman, who actually signed with the Redskins, so scratch that. Um, <laughs> but you'll see the Dallas defense improve a little bit. Uh, Philly got rid of Byron Maxwell, which I think is uh, addition by subtraction. <laughs> sure, um, but yeah, Laquan Treadwell. It was it was funny on on Twitter. I'm kind of in this culture of dynasty fantasy football geeks and. All I heard was Treadwell, Treadwell, Treadwell this time last year. And as as I've mentioned before, I'm not a big college fan just because who am I going to cheer for? BC, UNH, and it's not that exciting out here in New England. But, um, you know, after uh, – I don't want to call it a mediocre season. He did get injured in 2014. So 2015 he had about 85 catches, I believe, and I think 1,300 yards or so. Right. And he had he had a pretty fair season, but I think Ezekiel Elliott was just so good and Doxon was so good when he was healthy that it kind of bumped Treadwell down and made him not a forgotten man, but a less uh, not as desired guy, I guess. But I actually really like Treadwell's fit with Minnesota. I think he's perfect for Teddy Bridgewater. He's the complete opposite of Mike Wallace and Cordero Patterson because he actually can catch the ball and, can, and he can catch contested balls, whereas Wallace and Patterson just are really fast and drop the football a lot. Right. So uh, the slow 40 time at the combine might've scared some teams off, but I thought that to Minnesota, that was a great pickup by them. You really couldn't go wrong there. And, and they really lucked out. I think that Cincinnati was a little pissed because I thought Cincinnati really wanted him at 24, but obviously Minnesota and Washington grabbed 
top two receiver, two of the top three receivers after Corey Coleman. Yeah, and you have you have Corey Coleman listed next on our list, and I have to disagree. I think he's probably going to be a little bit lower than the next two guys as far as a fantasy standpoint. He's clear cut number one receiver when he comes in um, in August to camp, but who's going to be the guy throwing the ball? Um, you know, RG three, is he the answer? I don't see it. Uh, it's going to be a bad year in Cleveland. We've already kind of prepared for it. Sean and I went into a little bit of detail about it. No pressure, but, no diamonds, baby. <laughs> no pressure, no diamonds. <laughs> Trademark. So he's going to, he's going to see the targets, but you know, the targets won't add up when you're doing a lot of three and outs. So, and that's just a negative take. I'm sorry about that, but you know, that's how it is in, in Believe Land. No, I, I agree with you on that one. Well, actually, I disagree with you on that one because I have him as my four. Yeah, you have him ranked a little higher I, than I did. I have him as my four. I see where you're coming from. I just think that the targets are going to be there, and he's just a scrappy, angry player that he might be able to do something with them. Talking to my brother-in-law, Johnny, who will be featured on this podcast soon enough, so he'll stop complaining to me about not being on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned that either when he when he watched and when he watched this tape on youtube um he coleman either caught the a nice screen pass and just you know made a few plays here and there and was able to scamper for a touchdown or he just simply ran past the guy and caught a deep ball and he never went across the middle and he's probably not going to be able to beat receivers I'm sorry, beat D-backs in the NFL. He just won't be able to outrun him because obviously the level of athletes is a lot higher in the NFL. So I, I kind of see where you're coming from. However, I'm, I guess I'm just wishful thinking that maybe Cleveland can finally have a consistent wide receiver target that isn't getting suspended for the year for drinking beer and a plane with Johnny Manziel. That's, that would be a gift if we could keep that. But that Baylor connection is there. So right. we hope that he doesn't follow in uh, JG's footsteps exactly. there. But I do like your next guy you mentioned, uh, Sterling Shepard from the Giants. Uh, I think he's going to come in and fit nicely with what they're doing. Um, you know, Coach McAdoo is a throw first kind of guy, and I think he's going to get some targets. Um, where did you have him listed at? I have him at five. Yeah, I have him at five. I think in redraft, he might be a seventh round pick. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping he can do what I thought Victor Cruz was going to do two years ago when I drafted him like 25th overall in our in the league from the Ville, and then he decided to suck it up and then tear his patella tendon. So that was fun. Um, yeah. You know, McAdoo made his bread and butter by dinking and dunking to Randall Cobb in Green Bay. So I thought that once he took that offense to the Giants, that you you were going to see just a lot more of that. You're going to see Victor Cruz come close to 100 catches. Obviously, he didn't really fit into that system and then had the the injury that might be career-threatening. But – Sterling Shepard with pretty much absolutely nothing behind the behind Odell Beckham Jr. on the depth chart. Sterling Shepard could be a day one starter and should fit really well into that slot role. And sure. I'm not saying as a rookie he's going to have 100 catches, but he could have Brandon Cook's numbers as a rookie and, and post close to 70, 80 catches if he stays healthy. I agree completely. He's going to be um, I think he's going to be a PBR star uh, moving forward. 
And speaking of Brandon Cooks, uh, he's getting a new teammate, yes. Michael Thomas from Ohio State. And this one, I was kind of right with you. I think uh, he's going to be a big contributor this year with uh, with Cooks. And uh, Colson is gone, correct? Colson is gone, yep. Yeah, so they're looking to fill in another player. And he's a little bit bigger guy. Yes. Um, and I don't see Willie Sneed being the long-term solution so there's a three receiver um situation down there and they just picked up a uh tight end and kobe fleener so there's a that's quite the collection of, of weapons they got going in, in um sean payton's offense down there yeah the big easy's always had a pretty strong explosive offense and i don't think anything is going to change um i'm, I'm a willie sneed guy Big fan of his. He broke out from <laughs> the Ball State University. Uh, he had a great year last year. I picked him up in a few leagues, and he was pretty inconsistent. But he did play at the same time as Brandon Coleman and Marcus Colston, who kind of took turns as the big receiver last year. And right. obviously Ben Watson had a huge breakout season for the Saints. So if you take Fleener and put him in Watson's role as the productive tight end, and now you put um, Michael Thomas in the Brandon Coleman, the big receiver spot, I don't think Snead's going to have a huge drop in production. At least that's just wishful thinking because I just spent a ton of money on him in my Dynasty League auction. So, Ooh. yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, I, I really like Michael Thomas. I mean, anytime a guy, a receiver, goes to an explosive team like New Orleans who has a all-pro quarterback like Drew Brees, instantly their value goes up. So I thought this was a great move by New Orleans. Colson's been such a facet in that offense that they needed something on the outside and if Willie Sneed is just another guy and had a one-year breakout season, then that only helps Michael Thomas' stats even more. So True. we'll see how that plays out. Again, I like it. Um, sixth overall in rookie draft isn't bad. I think you can get him a lot later in redraft leagues, probably around the 10th round. Draft him as your wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and hope that he has better production. But again, as a rookie and an offense with a lot of weapons, he's going to be inconsistent. So he's more of a target in your dynasty leagues and your redraft leagues. Another player, another receiver, we want a little bit of, a little bit of a receiver run here that I like and I think will complement the incumbent receiver lining up on the other side is Will Fuller from Notre Dame, speedy wide receiver who the Texans took 21st overall. He's got a pretty similar skill set to Ted Ginn Jr., both in the positive and the negative. Positive meaning that he's going to run past you and he's really friggin' fast. The negative mm-hmm. that he's going to drop a wide open touchdown and make fantasy owners want to jump off a bridge multiple times throughout the year. So it'll be interesting to see what he does and how well he plays. Um, Jerry, how are you on Will Fuller? In re- I, I'm, I'm very big on Will Fuller, actually. I think if there's anything that, that they're going to try to do is push the ball downfield with the double coverage going the other way towards uh, Hopkins. Um, the, my issue is is kind of the same thing the Browns have is do you trust the quarterback? I, I trust little Brock Osweiler a little bit more than I do like an RG3, but I think he's got a deep enough ball that he can get it down there to Will Fuller. Like you said, is he going to run under it and get to it and bring it in, or is he going to drop it for the, uh, the obvious missed fantasy opportunity? I think he's maybe a little bit higher than michael thomas i might take him above michael thomas just because of all the weapons that are in saint or um, new orleans this year 
but I think uh, we're pretty close. Um, so what what for redraft? Where do you have him going? Well, I got him around the tenth round. I think okay. that again, pretty similar to Michael Thomas. He's going to be one of those guys who's going to be mattingly inconsistent. Really, you don't want to have to rely on him for a starting spot. If anything, a bye week or injury fill-in. And right. in the round, the tenth round, after you fill out your starting spot and maybe your backup running back, it's really just a crapshoot. You're just going to try to pick value here, pick value there, pick guys with high upside who you can plug and play. So I think tenth might is uh, fair for him. He might be my uh, Kevin White pick like I had last year who didn't play a single game for me, but um, I digress. Um, So we saw a lot of receivers go in this first uh, seven picks. And I think, to be honest, I'm really – I'm targeting a top four rookie pick this year, maybe top five. After that, I'm not too thrilled with the options only because there's a lot of question marks with some of these guys. Not great landing spots like the next guy we're going to talk about, Derrick Henry to the Titans. The former Heisman winner shockingly got drafted in the second round by a team that just traded for a workhorse running back that's very similar in running style to Derrick Henry and DeMarco Murray. Um, You know, both guys have a lot of miles on them. Derrick Henry ran a ton. I know it's in high school, but he has the all-time record for most rushing yards in Florida, and he ran a lot in Alabama last year. So... I just think that this guy's coming to the pros a lot of miles. They already have a guy like DeMarco Murray who has rushed for over 400 carries one season in his career already, had a down year last year. Uh, I thought they might have been better off taking a guy like C.J. Proceeds or Devontae Booker later on. But I guess you really can't hate the pick of Derrick Henry if – the if you can have a long-term outlook on things and also if you have demarco murray you might be able to handcuff derrick henry but i think that in in dynasty i'm i don't know if i'm going to be able to really target this guy but in redraft if i have demarco murray i think i could pick him up as a handcuff is sure is demar is uh derrick henry on your radar this year uh, i don't know about in a redraft situation like you said um if I have DeMarco Murray, he'd be, a, he'd be a good pickup late, but I'm not looking to get him, you know, in the, the top eight rounds or anything like that. So if, if I'm set at my, my RB1 and, and then I've got maybe a PPR guy um, for RB2, I might be looking to get him if I can. But like you said, there's it's going to be a crowded backfield back there with those two guys. Well, and here's the frustrating thing with a guy like Derrick Henry. You know, he's – really just a handcuff right now. He's a rookie running back. And again, it's very rare. Do you see a guy come in day one, unless you're superior talent, like AP or potentially Ezekiel Elliott for a running back it's very difficult for them to come in day one and be productive. Couple that mm-hmm. with the fact that he's going to be splitting time with DeMarco Murray, who has proven to be a workhorse back. There's only so many touches that go around. I think we're going to see, Derrick Henry be vastly overdrafted come draft day. And when we start talking about different draft topics or draft strategies as we get closer to August and other preseason games, I think that Derrick Henry is probably going to be on my list for overdrafted players. I see him as a sixth or seventh pick, sixth or seventh round pick in redraft, not saying that that's good value for him. I just think that's where he's going to go because people are going to say, oh, Derrick Henry, Heisman, oh, we need this guy. So um, I, I'm staying away from him this year. But I'll tell you a guy that I, I kind of like this year because I love his landing spot. My ninth rookie right now is Devontae Booker for the Broncos. 
Got drafted a little bit later than some of the other guys we're going to talk about. But he could easily pass Ronnie Hillman, who just signed a one-year cheap deal with the Broncos. Uh, Booker could easily step in and be the third down scat back and be a check that be a, a target for check down machine Mark Sanchez and probably Paxton Lynch. Uh, I actually think that towards the end of the year, you're going to see Devontae Booker probably have a similar rookie season to Duke Johnson Jr. from Cleveland. What do you think, Jer? I think he's, like you said, he projects a little bit better in the end of the season than he does in the beginning. Um, the Broncos have a system, and it really doesn't matter who the tailback is. They're just looking to plug a guy in and um, use their offensive uh, systems to make him successful. I think, like you said also, he is going to be that third down back, uh, catch a few balls out of the backfield and do what he can with it. Um, I don't see him going in my, you know, my first nine to 10 rounds in my, in a redraft situation, but I think he's a good pickup, uh, maybe even off the fantasy waiver wire. Um, if he slips through. Yeah, I can see that. I I definitely think that I'll be targeting him probably in the 12th or 13th round, but I totally understand why somebody would pass on him. I think that offense is still pretty high octane with Kubiak and the two receivers, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And, you know, Mark Sanchez will forever be remembered for the butt fumble, but the guy can play. I think that he's probably a top 20 quarterback. I almost threw up thinking Oof. about that, but that's how bad the quarterbacks are in the NFL, to, to be honest, I think. But, um, you know, we'll see with Devontae Booker. Right now, you're going to see him go probably towards the end of the first round in rookie, rookie drafts. Is he going to be overdrafted? Maybe, but he was a hot name coming into the draft. The Patriots were looking at him. Obviously, they passed on him considerably, but um, I, I think that he could have some potential next year, but we'll see. My 10th rookie, Tyler Boyd, wide receiver for the Bengals. After losing Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones, and by only picking up the <laughs> pizza paddle hands, Brandon LaFell, who ruined <laughs> a fantasy season for me, um, Tyler Boyd could see some starting time in an offense that, that is looking to throw the ball with A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert and Giovanni Bernard out of the backfield. I really like I really like Boyd here. I, I really also like the uh, how the Bengals drafted instead of panicking after losing out on Treadwell, Fuller, Coleman, and Doxson in the first round, who I think they were targeting. They decided to hold off, take a cornerback in the first round, you know, trust your board, and then they took a receiver in the second round in Tyler Boyd. So he should be a solid possession receiver opposite AJ Green in due time. Again, there is a learning curve at receiver, especially with some of these second and third round picks. So if you have, you know, if you're picking ninth overall in the rookie draft, you're probably a pretty competitive team. So you can wait a year or two for Boyd. He could be a guy that you could probably go undrafted. I'd say I, I took, when I first took a look at this, I thought, Oh, maybe it'd be a later round pick. But after thinking about it, I think in redraft, he's probably uh, a free agent waiver wire pickup, but I think he has some value this year. Maybe as a bi-week fill-in wouldn't waste a lot of money on him and free agent auction bids, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Jer, what do you think about, you think Tyler Boyd's got any potential this year in fantasy? I thought he had a great career in Pitt, um, University of Pittsburgh. And I kind of agree with you. I think he's going to slip through the cracks in, in our redraft league. Um, 
projecting the Bengals offense, I'm going to say LaFell is going to be their starting uh, wide receiver too, but you know, who, who, who knows exactly, but I can see Boyd getting some, some definite wide receiver three looks for them, maybe even slipping into wide receiver two. So uh, I don't know if he's draftable, you know, right off the, the bat, but he's definitely somebody you want to be looking for on the waiver wire. Yeah. And I think that also we saw Amy Dalton, who uh, that's our boy Farkey's <laughs> favorite player. Sure. We saw Andy Dalton take a step forward last year before he got injured. So if he can spread the ball around a little bit, uh, I, I guess I like Boyd a little bit more than some of the other receivers or running backs just because he actually has a capable quarterback throwing him the ball. So yeah. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, my next two, my next two at 11 and 12 in your rookie only drafts. And again, quarterbacks generally get their value goes down a bit unless a team is desperate for a quarterback, unless it's an Andrew Luck, unless it's a Peyton Manning, you know, one of those short thing guys who've been bred from the womb to be NFL quarterbacks. Um, usually, you know, when we saw back in 2012, we saw Andrew Luck go first overall. We actually saw RG three go probably about fourth or fifth, but this year with a lot of question marks around Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, I think they're going to slip towards the end of the first round, possibly into the early second round of your rookie only draft. So this year, I have Jared Goff slightly above Carson Wentz only because while I think they have an opportunity to both project as a very similar player long-term, obviously Jared Goff's uh, road to the starting lineup is much easier than Carson Wentz's. So in dynasty rookie only draft, I'm taking Goff 11. I'm taking Wentz 12 in redraft. Goff is probably a later pick. You know, he's a backup quarterback. He's a rookie. He's going to have his bumps and bruises, much like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota last year. They'll show flashes, but then they'll also have games where they just look like they're playing football on an area high school, which if you know New Hampshire football, you know it's not very impressive. Um, <laughs> and Wentz, he has no redraft value whatsoever. You know, in a perfect world, Philly doesn't want him to play at all week one. They want Bradford or they want Chase Daniel. So I'm probably staying away from both quarterbacks this year in redraft. I think about one of them later on in the first round in dynasty. Uh, Jerry, please tell me you're going to take Carson Wentz in like the sixth round. Of- I'm thinking that might be uh, Shrek's pick this year, you know, <laughs> to get that third quarterback in before the 10th round. In the one, you know, in the one in- quarterback only league, right? For industry, yeah, for injury purposes, right. you got to have that guy to back up. No, I don't see either one of those guys going, you know, in the top 10, maybe even top 12 rounds of, of a redraft league. I, if I end up with one of those two, you can just put a, uh, the shotgun right to my team's forehead and put that old yeller down. So put her down before week eight, which usually is when you give up. Um, week eight is usually pretty late for me, actually. <laughs> True. You're searching for your first win by week eight. Oh come on! I wasn't that bad last year. I think it was three and seven oh, yeah. going into week week eleven. So sorry, I was, I was, we'll see. You're, you're way behind me in the standings, so I didn't really pay attention to peons like you. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, after this, it starts to get a little hairy. We're down to our last three picks in the first or of our top fifteen. We're at thirteenth overall, and a player that I think is. I don't know how he projects. I think that he has potential in this offense because it's a position they're sorely lacking. But the Seattle Seahawks picked CJ Proceed 19th overall. 
And it's not like they have a ton at running back right now. They have Thomas Rawls, which we don't know who he is and what he is. He had, he flashed last season when Marshawn Lynch got hurt, but he went down with a lower leg injury. So and he hasn't fully recovered from that surgery. So will he be the same guy he was last year? Was he just a flash in the pan? They have Fred Jackson, who is like 90, um, but still producing, but you know, he's got to, he's got to slow down some uh, eventually. And they have Christina Michael, who is arguably one of the most polarizing players in recent history of dynasty fantasy football. This guy was being touted as the next great running back and could never find the field for various reasons. But CJ comes in and has an opportunity to take the scat back role. How much, what's his ceiling look like? It's not very high. Again, it could be, and I know this is kind of a cheap way to look at this, but it could be another Duke Johnson situation. Uh, I don't, I haven't watched a lot of CJ. So Jared, do you know any more about him than I do? Or I, I really don't, um, you know, get into the back end of these rookie guys. It's really just, you know, you've seen a highlight here or there on YouTube, um, or you heard Mayock talk about him for a minute and, I don't play dynasty, so I don't. I can't even speak on it for that standpoint. But these are guys that aren't going to be drafted by uh, simply ravishing this coming season. <laughs> for those who don't know, simply ravishing is Jerry's fantasy team name in the league from the Ville, and it's uh, a beautiful shirtless picture of Rick Rude. Ravishing, ravishing, simply ravishing, simply ravishing. Yeah, as Jerry mentioned, you know, at this point, you kind of look at situation more than talent. I think. Uh, for example, the next guy I'm looking at, Kenyon Drake from Miami, got picked seventy third overall. Jay Ajayi is uh, has very limited NFL tape and has allegedly a chronic bad left knee, or I'm not sure if it's left knee, but he has a chronic bad knee. So, how long is his career? Could a guy like Kenyon Drake be very similar to Lamar Miller, who was drafted later on in the third round and eventually emerged as a starting back in the NFL and is now very fantasy relevant, might be a top five pick this year, top 10 pick potentially. Um, you know, he should be a nice compliment as a sort of scat back to Ajayi's very powerful running style. Um, I, I don't know how he projects very well, but again, at this point, not being a huge college football fan, I'm taking a look at the position of need for the team and the landing spot for the player and, and what their role looks like. So right now he's projecting to be the scat back, but uh, they do have some other players on that depth chart that could jump ahead of him. Um, but, and that's the problem with rookie picks. You never know how these guys are going to turn out. We've only seen them play in the, in the college level and how they translate to the pros is anybody's guess. So I think a guy that you probably want to talk about because you've seen him play a little bit and you know the system is my number 15 player, and I think he's got potential here. I think Elway loves him. That's Paxton Lynch for Denver. Yeah, I've, I've, I've watched a little bit more Paxton Lynch than probably anybody you've mentioned since uh, the top of the draft. Um, do I think Elway has a chance to bump him up into a starting position? I absolutely do. Does that mean he's draftable in, from a fantasy standpoint? I absolutely don't know because, A, he does have weapons in, on the outside with uh, Thomas and with um, Sanders. Um, and with Sanders, thank you. 
he, the one thing he does not lack is arm strength and um, and the ability to go downfield. The thing he does lack is the ability to read a defense. So who knows how to project this kid? Uh, I'd love to say don't draft him, absolutely not, stay away, but there's going to be somebody that takes him at some point with a big reach, and I'm going to probably be either the guy that did it or I'm going to be the guy laughing at somebody who did it. So. Who knows? Um, what's your take on it? Well, I think that, like you said, he's got great weapons. And I think that in redraft, unless Mark Sanchez dies in a horrible butt fumble accident or a horrible GQ shoot accident or something, uh, light right. falls on his head, um, then Paxton Lynch is undraftable in redraft. However, if you have – you're in your dynasty draft and you need a backup quarterback, you got a guy like Tom Brady – or Drew Brees, and you need a backup, a long-term backup that you can wait and develop on, I think Paxton Lynch is a great great choice. He's going to be cheap for you to move up and pick up. He's probably a early second-round pick, so those prices usually aren't as high as a late first-round pick. Um, I, I really like it. I He's a project. He He's not a Tim Tebow, so he's not like he's a guy who – isn't going to be an NFL quarterback. He is grooming. He's being groomed by one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks to play the game and John Elway to be the next guy in Denver, the next signal caller. So, and I, I think that having a championship defense and having a solid running back like CJ Anderson weapons, like Emmanuel Sanders or Demarius Thomas, it's going to take a lot of pressure off Lynch if, and when he does play. So, Oh, sure. He's, yeah. he's a guy that also in redraft, you have a player like Ben Roethlisberger and week eight, he goes down with a sprained ankle and broken right eye socket. And you know, he's coming back in two weeks, but you need somebody to play for you for two weeks. At that point, Lynch could be the starting quarterback for the Broncos. Um, and he could be valuable. He won't be great, but he could be serviceable. So I like Paxton Lynch long-term. And there's a few other players that I, I do like long-term that I think just missed the cut but have potential. Uh, Jordan Howard for the Bears got picked in the fifth round. He was projected to be a second or third round pick but slid because of injury concerns. There's not a lot in the Bears running back depth chart. Jeremy, Langf- Jeremy Langford flashed last year when Matt Forte was hurt. But if you take a look at Langford's numbers, they really weren't that good. They are actually kind of mediocre. So Jordan Howard has that potential if he stays healthy to be an every down back. And I think that he could easily cut into Langford's starting time. So first take Langford in the first round. (laughs) Uh, Noted. Thank you. (laughs) Is there any players that you think are definitely uh, lotto tickets in fantasy football this year? Um. Two guys that stick out to me, and, and one I thought was uh, destined for the Browns was going to be Braxton Miller. Um, I thought he was going to be probably a third or fourth round pick for us. Uh, he's going to be interested what they do with him. I, I kind of project him to be a sort of Houston Xander to answer to uh, Antoine Randall L, kind of a, an athlete that can do a little bit of everything from the slot. Is he going to put up big numbers this year? I doubt it, but he's an interesting guy to, to keep on your uh, roster, maybe – in the, in the back end. And the other guy was uh, someone you wrote down was Hunter Henry. I love me some Hunter Henry. And I think he's going to be uh, 
a guy in a dynasty league you keep because I don't know what the shelf life on Antonio Gates is uh, going to be this year. He might not start, you know, after he's got, you know, how many years on those knees and this might be his last year. So he's somebody you would want to have on your roster. because He's going to plug right in and probably be, you know, a starter for the next 10 years. I mean, that's just me being a little optimistic. Yeah. And Gates signed a two year deal with the chargers did they sign a deal saying that, listen, we know it's a one-year deal with an option for 2017? I don't know. But with Ladarius Green going to Pittsburgh, Hunter Henry was a huge need for for the Chargers, and he was arguably the best tight end in the draft class. So I like that right. move as well. The only thing is it does take tight ends a while to develop into true fantasy players. For, for a while, they can get stuck in the, in the heap of the overall T tight end five to tight end 12, which is the same exact player pretty much. So uh, he's definitely a guy you want to stash in dynasty leagues. I don't think he's going to have a ton of value this year, but I think somebody who could have some value this year is Kenneth Dixon. Pretty similar to Buck Allen last year. Kenneth Dixon is in a situation in Baltimore where, you know, um, there's just not a lot of ton. There's not a ton of talent in front of him. Buck Allen, like I said, had a good year last year, but that was just because Justin Forsett got hurt and they really had nobody talented on that offense once Steve Smith went down uh, to do anything with the ball. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kenneth Dixon gets some play next year. And I also like Farrell Cooper because the Rams need a playmaker wide receiver or a consistent playmaker wide receiver. They have Tavon Austin, who is electric and finally came into his own. But other than that, they have nothing. Kenny Britt sucks. The guy's the most frustrating player in fantasy. And um, Brian Quick, again, so frustrating. Brian Quick sucks. I'm done with I'm done with the Rams receivers. I probably won't even draft Tavon Austin just because I don't want to deal with the inconsistency. So Jared Goff needs a consistent target. And if Farrell Cooper can be that guy, good for them. So those are some of the rookies that I wanted to talk about and their fantasy relevance for this year and the future. And I just want to remind everybody, my strategy when it comes to first round picks is I don't value them very high in return of trade. If I'm trading them, I'm telling you that the guy you're going to get there is the next Adrian Peterson or the next Randy Moss. But if you really look at it, first round picks are crapshoots. 50% 50% of the time, they're starters for your team. Maybe 25% of the time, they're great players for your team. You know, for every Todd Gurley and DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Cooper, Kelvin Benjamin, there are probably three or four DeLone Carters, Terrence Wests, <laughs> Bishop Sankey. I mean, these names give dynasty fantasy football players acid reflux. And it's amazing as you get closer to the draft what it takes to get one of these guys. At this point right now, you could get Demarius Thomas for the fifth rookie, fifth pick in the rookie draft, which is just asinine. You take the proven commodity versus the unknown. Just because a proven commodity is five years older, it doesn't matter. Take that guy. Take three years of solid production from him versus whatever you're going to get from a Corey Coleman, whatever you know, you're going to get from a Will Fuller. So that's just that's me standing on my soapbox. If you don't listen to me, great. If you listen to me, I don't care. But uh, another thing you want to look at 
is going after second round rookie picks. Believe it or not, but Gronk, second round rookie pick in fantasy in, in rookie only drafts. Jimmy Graham, Antonio Brown might have gone undrafted. A lot of these guys slipped through the cracks through the NFL draft. Graham was a third round pick. Antonio Brown, a sixth round pick. Gronk, a second round pick. When they slip through the cracks in, fan, in, in the NFL draft, they're probably going to slip through the cracks in fantasy draft. So it's good to start looking at some of the prospects now to see who's available, what their current situation is, what they're slated on the depth chart, and just follow those guys throughout training camp because you could see an Alfred Morris who was a virtual unknown his rookie year in 2012. And by the time training camp rolled around, the guy was a starter, and all of a sudden you're sitting here with a starting running back one for the next two years. It's, it's, it's awesome finding guys like that. So real quick, uh, Jared, I just want to talk about some of the losers and winners from the rookie draft in fan- for okay. fantasy purposes. Uh, obviously, we talked about him real quick earlier, DeMarco Murray. Do you think he's going to have a lot of value next year with Derrick Henry there? Value from fantasy standpoint, I don't think so. I do like what Tennessee's done with their football team, but from a, a fantasy standpoint, I think it's going to be probably a split. And, you know, maybe 65, 60% of the carries are going to beat DeMarco's. And I don't know who's going to be scoring all the touchdowns because he's not running away from anybody anymore. Right. So, fantasy wise, he's definitely getting hurt this year. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, probably a late second round pick, early third round pick. And he's he slid a little bit, unfortunately, with the addition of Derek, of Derek Henry. Another guy who had um, injury concerns. Previously, but found the fountain of youth last year was Demarco was uh, Darren McFadden in Dallas, running behind that beefy line. <clears throat> Ezekiel Elliott coming to the Cowboys. McFadden's value is as a handcuff, and the previously mentioned Alfred Morris, who was recently signed to the Cowboys, might not even make the roster. So stay away from those two. They were had a little bit of hype behind them once uh i'm sorry alfred morris had a little bit of hype surrounding him once he signed with dallas but that hype's cooled off and very similar to brandon coleman who we mentioned before the pick Mm -hmm. of michael thomas is definitely going to cool off some of the the sleeper hype for coleman this year um jr who do you think were some of the winners from the draft well i think you can definitely make a case for anybody playing on the uh Minnesota Vikings. Stefan Diggs is definitely going to love not being doubled every time um, with, with Treadwell coming in. Uh, and, I, and I think it's going to help Teddy Bridgewater. He's not a deep ball thrower like uh, we had talked about before. And, but he's definitely an accurate guy. And, and I think with Treadwell and Stefan Diggs are going to have uh, some pretty good fantasy numbers this year. So be on the lookout for those two. Yeah, I'm curious to see how Diggs plays this year. He Definitely flashed last year, and as a rookie receiver, you're going to see inconsistency. But I think once teams realize that he's actually somewhat of a threat, they game-planned around him a little bit, and all of a sudden we saw limited production. So I think that if they have another solid weapon like Treadwell, it'll definitely open up some running lanes for him, or uh, his ability to run some routes with single coverage versus double coverage. And that can only help a young receiver like him. And like you said with Bridgewater, he needs that possession guy, and that's exactly what Treadwell is. I think the final guy that I really like, and I saw him, I was really nervous that his fantasy value was going to take a hit, either by being traded or by his team drafting somebody, was Ryan Matthews. 
he is a talented running back who struggles to stay on the field due to injuries. But now without DeMarco Murray and only really Darren Sproles as a threat to his touches, the former first round pick could finally build on the opportunity and maybe live up to the RB2 status that we've been waiting forever to see from him. Um, I think he's definitely a target probably in the seventh round in, in redraft leagues this year. And if you can get him for relatively cheap in dynasty leagues, go for it. Yeah, I agree. So that's all we have for tonight. I appreciate everybody taking a listen to us. Of course, Uh, Jerry, you got any closing remarks, my friend? Well, I was hoping to hear any emails that we may have received, but I actually shudder at that idea. So let's just move past (laughs) anything that was being sent to us. I'd I'd rather not read some of the, the hate that comes in. Well, again, remember, Jerry, you know, you have to learn to have thick skin. You know, again, these haters will make us famous. So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you build up tolerance to the hate. And, you know, maybe next time we'll receive a few comments about, hey, you guys sound like assholes or you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but we'll wait on that till next time. Um, I, I urge you to send us an email at negpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what we did right. Tell us what we did wrong. Anything you want us to talk about other than hockey or high school sports, we'll talk about. Um, follow us on Twitter at Glory Podcast. You can follow Jerry at B-U-R-R-I-S 40. Follow me at Grilly 88 And, of course, look for us on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. We appreciate your time. And um, that's all we got. Jerry, anything? Luke, it's been a pleasure like always, my man. I look forward to talking to you for an hour and a half twice a week. It makes my day. It makes my week. It <laughs> makes my week. So, All right, take it easy. Until next time. Bye.